guys, uh, trying something a little new today. Uh, as you can see, it's just me by myself. I have no guests. It's only me. Uh, I'm doing a little solo cast. Um, I'm, it's not going to be a regular thing. I just, everybody was busy, you know. My boy Eric was uh, working till 11, and Yuri's out, and Adam and everybody is out of town or unavailable. So I was pondering just skipping a week, but I thought, you know, I should try to do one by myself and see how it goes, because uh, I've never tried that, and maybe it's pretty good, and it'll work out. So it might be a little shorter than normal because I only brought my own talking points and not anybody else's and there's not any kind of arguing going on. So it was just kind of maybe free flowing, I guess. Uh, so <clears throat> let's just get into it. You know, uh, I've been sick for over 10 days now. I've been sick. You'll probably hear me cough a few times, snort a few times. I don't have any tissues in front of me. I probably should have, but shouldn't be bad. I usually don't get sick. Uh, it's very rare. Probably haven't been sick in a couple of years, to be honest. And I had a really sore throat recently. Just a lot of waking up and my, my throat feels like it's full of cement, you know, and I kind of talk like I have a frog in my throat. But I'm getting over it. I drank an entire two bottles of NyQuil and DayQuil and uh, an entire package of 12 emergencies. So that's kind of interesting. Every emergency packet has a thousand percent of your daily vitamin C intake. What's the point of that? Like it, vitamin C is a water soluble vitamin, which means that if you get 100%, anything over 100%, you just you remove from your body, you just, you just pees out. So getting 1000% vitamin C doesn't benefit you at all. And a lot of these vitamins that I look at, like emergency is one of them, but vitamins in general, it's like 3000% vitamin C. What's the point of that? I mean, you, you, you can make a vitamin that's 50 million percent vitamin C. What does it matter? I don't get why they even write that on there. How about you just make it 100% vitamin C and call it a day, you know? So I don't know what that's about, but anyway, I feel like I'm getting better. I'm staying ahead of it and doing a lot of work, but I have been ill for a while. It's really a bummer. It's really affected me. I only took one day off work though, but I'm pretty sure all the other days I did infect all my coworkers with it. So good luck to you guys. Sorry about that. But yeah, it's a Christmas. Uh, Christmas is next week. We won't be doing a podcast next week because it's my week off. But Christmas is, is coming. And if you know much about me and my, my stories about Christmas, uh, I hate it. I hate Christmas. I mean, I like getting gifts for myself. And I like getting gifts that matter to my loved ones. But I hate getting my parents gifts that are meaningful. Not only because it's difficult, because they have everything. But because they're very mean. And I have a great story to tell you guys about my dad. So here's what it is. Okay, for, I'll, I'll retell a story actually from before. I told a story in the podcast a couple, last Christmas or maybe a couple Christmases ago. But one time, I got my mom an electric blanket because uh, she doesn't work. She's retired. She just watches Russian TV and sits on the couch for most of her days. That's how she spends most of her free time: is cooking, cleaning, and watching TV. Sorry, I'm drinking. Can you guys hear my cat? He's meowing outside the door. I don't know if you can hear him. I hope not. If you can, leave it in the comments, but I obviously can't fix it because I won't read those comments till after you're annoyed by the cat, so I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. I already closed the door. I can't do anything. Anyway, so uh, anyway, I got my mom an electric blanket because I figure if you're sitting on the couch watching TV all day and you have everything you've ever wanted, maybe you don't have an electric blanket. I mean, I know she doesn't have one, so I got her one because I figure she could be warm on the couch watching TV. It's a pretty thoughtful gift. So what does she tell me when she opens it? She tells me this is not a good gift. 
what would I do with this? She says, what would I do with this? I'm like, well, you'd cover yourself with it and it would be warm while you're out cooking. You can go back into the couch in your, after like while you put stuff in the oven or whatever you're up to and it'll be warm already. She just hands it back to me and says, maybe you can return this or something. That's the kind of parents I have. They don't even pretend. Okay. So this year, here's what's going on. About a month and a half ago. So we're talking like this December 18th now. So a month and a half ago is quite a while before Christmas. My dad says, here's what I want for Christmas. I want this, infl- this uh, electric sweater that Home Depot sells. It's a Milwaukee, you know, Milwaukee, the tool company. They have a sweater that is like a, it's like an electric blanket, but it's a sweater. And there's a battery pack in the pocket and it warms itself up with coils actually sewn into it. He's like, I want that. It's $150. That's what you get me. I'm like, okay. So then two days later, he calls me and says, hey, you know that sweater I wanted you to get? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I just, I bought it myself. So you can just pay me back for it. And that'll kind of be your Christmas present. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, you'll just, you were going to buy it for me. So what's the difference if I buy it for myself or you buy it for me, you just pay me back for it. I'm like, but you already bought it. And it's not even December yet. He's like, yeah, well, I mean, what's the point of getting a warm sweater halfway into winter already? I want it now. And I'm like, that's not how Christmas works. I'm not going to pay you $150 so you can buy a sweater for yourself in fucking a month before Christmas. And then what's going to happen when Christmas comes around? I'm just going to come over to your house empty-handed because I already gave you your gift a month and a half ago? That's not fucking Christmas, Dad. That's not how it works. He's like, well, I mean, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I want and that's what you were going to get me. So now I just got it myself. I'm like, well, you shouldn't have fucking got it yourself. He's like, well, there's no point in me getting it in the middle of winter. I, I want it now. So fucking he bought it. I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay you for it. I'm going to get you something else. And then he calls me back a week later and says, that sweater, I hated it. I returned it. So we're back to square one. So now I'm like, okay, here's what I'm going to get him. I'm going to tell you guys what I'm getting him. He doesn't listen to the podcast, so we're safe. I'm going to get him a $100 gift card to Home Depot, a world's best dad t-shirt. He likes stuff like that. Some socks, a seven, a, a set of socks for, you know, seven set of socks and a bottle of vodka. That's my, he likes, he likes the good, he likes uh, Ciroc. He likes Ciroc vodka. So that's what I'm getting him. Anyway, so here's what's going on. He's getting me. I'll tell you what he's getting me. New speakers for my computer. Because I said, my speaker's broke and I really love new speakers for Christmas. And he kind of said, okay. So basically, I'm confident I'm getting new speakers. He calls me a couple days ago. And he says, hey, I'm a little disappointed in you. This is all in Russian, by the way. But I'm like, oh, really? What do I do this time? He's like, well, you know, Christmas is next week. And you've never really called me to figure out what I want. So I'm a little bit concerned you're just going to give me some useless piece of garbage and you don't really know what I'm up to, what I want. So I'm a little concerned and disappointed you didn't call and ask because now I'm, you know, really worried about what you're going to get me. I'm like, oh, really? Well, why don't you tell me what you need then? And then maybe I'll get it. He's like, well, for example, uh, I need some LED lights for the deck. I want to put like LED lights around the deck so in the dark I can use the deck. I mean, that's something I would be interested in, but you didn't ask me, so you don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm like, well, I mean, I can still get you LED lights, but I don't know how long of a length you need. I don't know what color you want. I don't know what wattage. There's so many variables when it comes to getting you lights that only you know about. My chance of getting the wrong ones are like way higher than not. He's like, yeah, I mean, that's why we'd go together to Home Depot and I'd buy the lights and then you just pay me back or you'd buy me the lights, but we'd go together and buy them. I'm like, that's not Christmas. That isn't how it works. And he just calls me because he's concerned that the gift I'm going to get him is, is bad. I mean, well, how rude is that? 
And he's like, you know, you told me what you wanted. I'm kind of going to follow through and get you and go with your wishes and get you your speakers. But you don't really know what I want. And, I'm, you know, I mean, that's not really fair. I'm like, what the hell? Kind of what is fair? Fair. What nonsense are you talking about? That's, I, that's my parents. I got to deal with that every single year. And then my dad's birthday is four days after Christmas. How fucked am I? So fuck Christmas very much. And I spent like $600 already on fucking gifts. It's, in, it's insane. I hate it. So tell me about your Christmas stories. Do you love it? If you have kids, maybe it's good. But I hold to the, here's what I hold to. Every year Christmas gets worse. The younger you are, the better it is because you just get gifts and you don't need to get anything but draw a fucking terrible picture and your parents are happy. Then as you get older and you got to like pay your parents back and pay all your relatives back with gifts back, it gets worse. And then as you become the same age as everybody and you no longer, you already buy stuff you want on your own. Like when you're a kid, you need Domino Rally or you need an Xbox game. You can't have any, you don't have any money. That's the only way to get it. When you're an adult, I just buy whatever I want, you know, and now it's like, I'm just getting junk back basically, you know, my dad's going to give me my speakers, but I've put out more money than I'm getting in. You know, I could have bought the speakers myself and got nobody gifts. Christmas, here's what Christmas should be. Everybody gets themselves something nice and not worry about the rest. That would be great. And you just get yourself whatever you want and have to worry about anything. What a fucking great holiday that would have been. All right, enough about Christmas. Let's move on. Sorry, I'm drinking. I wish I could say I'll cut out all my drinking parts, but I'm not going to. You guys have to just deal with it. I'm sorry. Hope that doesn't make it bad, but... I'm watching, me and Emily are watching Food Network, the next Food Network star. And I don't know if I've ever talked about this or not, but I think Food Network (coughs) is doing a big disservice to the food industry, to the global environmental industry for not embracing veganism. I really do think that. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, I, I, I don't want to get into this whole veganism thing. I mean, I do want to get into it, but I don't want to make it this a preaching moment. But you got to understand, everybody who is a rational thinker must understand that the advantages of a vegan lifestyle are, are un, it's, 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 you can't defend a non-vegan lifestyle with anything that makes any sense. And I've said that a lot of times, but environmentally, our meat industry is absolutely unsustainable. You know, animals be damned. Like, yeah, I care about animals. And to me, that's the primary facet of my veganism is I don't want animals to be, to suffer and die. But even beyond that, environmentally, it's ridiculous. It's not sustainable. There's so much more waste that goes into it. The pollution that comes out of it is, is, I mean, cows are the second biggest polluters in the world, guys. Like after cars, cows, you know, it's not because cows pollute a lot. I mean, they kind of do, but it's because there's so many fucking cows. They're actually ruining our planet as much as cars. And that's just cows. I mean, then pigs and chickens are up there too, you know? And they're for, people say, I, I've, I've heard, I've, I've been in this, these, you know, arguments a lot. People say, uh, you know, cows poop, the fertilizer they create is, is vital to, it's very nutritious for the land for, I'll tell you what, the cows we have that come out of factory farms, their manure is not used in any kind of fertilizer because it's so toxic because they're pumped full of so many antibiotics, you know, what's the word? Antibiotics. They're pumped full of so many antibiotics and growth hormones that their manure is actually not a good fertilizer. It's, it's toxic waste. It's just absolute toxic waste. All of the urine and manure that all the billions of cows produce in America not uses fertilizer. I mean, family family farm cows, sure, sustainable farms that use like four cows and they use their manure. Absolutely, manure is great. But the 
uh, there's nothing natural about what we're doing to cows and pigs. Nothing natural about it. So when the food network's out there and they and they just don't really pay any attention to it and it's there at the forefront. I mean, I understand that they're, they are the industry. They are the food industry. But, the, the, you know, Elton Brown and Bobby Flay and these and Emeril Lagasse, they're thought leaders. You know, they're not just, they're not on the payroll. Like they're, they're independent people. They're not on the, I understand Food Network probably gets a lot of like funding and a lot of dollars from, you know, the meat industry and whatever. But, but these particular people have their own mind, you know, and they're, they're thought leaders. And, and as thought leaders and chefs, I feel like it's their responsibility. And they always, whenever they can, they do preach, you know, grass-fed beef and sustainability. They do preach that. But in the meantime, then they go and just, hey, you know, have veal parmesan and talk about how delicious it is. Or, or talk about how decadent foie gras is. And these are the most disgusting foods that there are. And I mean, not disgusting in the way that it's disgusting to eat, eat liver. But the way the animals are treated to make, to make veal, to make foie gras, is absolutely atrocious. You know, and I'm not one to harp on specific issues like foie gras is bad. We should eliminate that, but keep beef. All of it's bad. But foie gras is on the news all the time about how absolutely, you know, brutal it is. And these guys are like, you know, Elton Brown's a thought leader saying it. So anyway, let me cut to the chase. I think that's a big miss on Food Network. I think they should be thought leaders and they should at least push an agenda that veganism is good for the environment, good for the animals. They have almost no vegan shows. And I know that it's because most Americans aren't vegan. Vegans are 4% of the population. I understand all that, but it doesn't matter. I think that it's their duty to do the right thing, you know, and, and talk about and push it. You know, the, the reason that 4% that of people are vegan is because all the main media outlets don't push the correct lifestyle. All they do is push the fucking same giant steaks, Kobe beef. It's the same fucking garbage, wrap everything in bacon. That's not good for anybody. I mean, it's good for your taste buds because, yeah, bacon is good, but it's not good for your health. It's not good for America's health or the world's health. It's fucking bullshit. And they, they should do better. But anyway, so here's a story. We're watching Food Network Star, and this woman uh, makes a, a, ham, a ham dish of some kind. And she's telling a story about how ham came to be so popular. And they're all eating their food. And she's telling the story about how a farmer in Greece had a big fire one time, and all of his pigs burned to death. But that's how they discovered how good bacon is or why bacon's so good. And I mean, that's a really weird and, and bad story to tell. And obviously they, they called her out on it. But then Elton Brown, who I respect a lot, and he's like the Bill Nye, the science guy of food, if you don't know who Elton Brown is. He does good eats. I'm a big fan of this guy, you know? And he says, you can't give your eaters disturbing imagery while they're at the table. And talking about pigs burning is not something people want to imagine. And I'm like thinking, so what you're saying, Elton, is as long as you don't imagine what happens to the animals, then eating them is completely fine. And that idea is so inappropriate to me. Like, I want you to imagine me skinning a tomato alive, cutting a pepper into little pieces, ripping broccoli apart with my bare hands. Are you disgusted by those thoughts? Not at all. If anything, that sounds like, oh, a pretty good salad. That sounds like, you know, when you, shoot, when you watch a tomato being cut apart, that's good, right? That's not, that doesn't disgust you. But if I, if I show you a video of a pig being butchered and slaughtered, you're not going to want to eat after that. And I don't care if you want to go, hor, 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 bacon, yum. I don't give, I'll eat that right now. No, if I show you a fucking butcher video before you eat your dinner every day, you're going to have a bad appetite. That's a fact. 
I mean, I don't care. How, I don't know what kind of fucking person you got to be to be able to watch a pig get murdered before you eat and like how that fine. And I mean, I used to eat meat and I know that if I watched one of those videos before my dinner, I wouldn't eat dinner, you know. Uh, but and Elton just, he really hits on it in a way that bothered me because like she wanted, she talked about how, you know, the pigs got burned and their meat tastes, it smelled so great. Everybody got really into it. I mean, the story's not real. It's a fake story. Obviously, if they're farming pigs in the first place, they already know what they're going to do with them. You know what I mean? But it's just like, what, as long as you don't talk about what happens behind the fucking barn doors, then you can eat foie gras and you can eat your suckling pig and Kobe beef and everything's fine. But you can't let the diners know about what happens. It's a disgusting concept. If it's so disgusting, maybe the diners should know. You know, my, my, my theory is if you're disgusted by it, they lose your appetite then you shouldn't be eating it. How about that? I mean, that's pretty basic, I think. Sorry, that does it for my, this whole, I don't want to get too into the vegan thing. I know for those of you who are with me on the journey and understand that, you know, I changed and it's been very important to my life and, you, and you're thinking about it. And I'm really happy to have Eric, my boy Eric, he's not here right now, but if he listens to this podcast right now, he's been trying a lot of vegan dishes lately. He's really kind of, I don't want to say embracing what I'm saying, but but he's at least being open-minded to it. And he's been uh, taking my advice and cooking tofu. He's attempted to cook tofu. He's made some of my vegan mac and cheese recipes. He's always inquisitive about, you know, what can you do with these different things to make them taste, uh, you know, better? Or how do I cook that that you had that I liked? I really appreciate that a lot. You know, and I know it's not an overwhelming, it's not a switch. And I have some comments and Twitter messages about people who are like, I've tried this. I've tried, you know, soy milk and it's not bad. I really appreciate that, guys. And baby steps are, are great, and I love them. And I love when you keep an open mind instead of coming at me like, I'm an idiot, I'm stupid. Uh, I'm not stupid, and I'm not an idiot. And I think that if you open your mind, you will realize that eating meat is just all around bad. It's all around bad. Um, but that, you know, thanks for everybody who supports me and is open-minded, even, even for those meat eaters out there that support me and are open-minded, I love you guys. Uh, the ones that are actually attempting some vegan food Love you even more. That's great. I encourage everybody to at least try it out. You know, let's talk about uh, something else that's been going on. Uh, there's been a lot of, you know, I've been on, on Facebook fighting a lot uh, with people about this Donald Trump thing and all this stuff. I'm having a little drink here. It's hard. You know, I realized it's really hard for me to drink when I'm the only one talking. I have my full cup of tea and my brandy here. I can't even drink them because I, I feel like the silence is too distracting. Ugh, sorry. <laughs> so I don't want to get political. Uh, but I do want to talk about privilege a little bit. And we talked about it in a previous podcast, I know. But I want to talk about it some more because I feel like I've articulated a little, bit, a little bit better. I've accused people of being privileged a lot on Facebook lately. Because I think the definition of what privilege means and what it means to people has been getting kind of muddled. When someone accuses you of being privileged, if it's happened to you, you always need to look at it in comparison to not the person you're fighting with, but the topic at hand. So for example, if, if Yuri was here and I called Yuri privileged because he thinks Syrian refugees shouldn't be allowed in the country, they should go back and fight instead. And Yuri would never do that. That's not where his position is, but I'm just saying. And he would take offense to that because he's not privileged because Yuri had to work all his life. Uh, he's comparing himself to me in that case. He's saying, you know, I've had to work probably harder than you. Who are you to call me privileged? 
But that's not where the where the, the, the attack of privilege is coming from. It's coming from his privilege versus the actual refugees. Okay, that's people need to understand that. So now you, this may, you may and you already never had this conversation. I had this conversation with people on Facebook who are saying refugees shouldn't be let into America. They should just stay in their country and, and work harder to uh, get their country back to be stable. When they have no idea what they're even asking, what that means. They have no idea what it means. They have no you know, perspective to even comprehend what it means to stay in a country like war-torn Syria and, and, and stabilize it with their bare hands. Like as if the refugees are lazy and they're not working hard enough to make their country better. So they're fleeing to America, which is a country where strong people like this fuckface live, you know? So then I go, you know what? From your, your fucking, your privilege, you're a privileged piece of shit and you have no right to say that. And he's like, I'm not privileged. I've had to work my entire life to get what I have. And, and you know, that assumes, here's what, I'm not saying he's wrong. Maybe he did work all his life and I'm not, I'm not downplaying how much work he had to do. However, if he was born in Thailand, and he had to do the same amount of work in Thailand, he would still be a fucking poor piece of shit. Because I'll, I'm going to shoot you guys straight. And I, I might say something that's offensive right now. And I'm sorry if I do. But most Americans my age don't really know what hard work is. And I'll say that knowing full well that I'm part of the, of, of the problem, I guess. I mean, at least I have the perspective to know that compared to a... a, 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 a somebody working in the fucking docks in Thailand or somebody working in a coal mine in Syria. Compared to them, I don't know what hard work is. And I worked 16 hour days when I, I tell you what, here's my, here's my background. And I'll fully admit that I've never worked hard in my life. Okay. I'll fully admit that. Um, I worked at an, an apartment complex where I dug holes and shoveled rocks all day. You know, I was like a lawn boy in an apartment complex. You know how, how uh, apartments have like rock gardens around their border. I laid that in. It was, you know, if you remember Noah, my, my, friend, my friend Noah Tilson, who was here two podcasts ago, his dad owns, or his family owns an apartment complex, and I worked for his dad for a couple summers. And the job entailed me going outside in the hot sun and literally shoveling rocks for eight hours. I mean, minus a lunch break. Uh, it, it wasn't hard work. Sure, it was hot. It was sweaty. It was heavy. It was irritating. Uh, I was being bit by mosquitoes in the morning. I was being burned by the sun in the nighttime. Uh... It was heavy and dusty and I had to breathe in rock dust and it got in my eyes and it was really hard labor work. Yeah, I was, you know, it was back when I was in high school. So whatever. I'm not complaining about that at all. But I would consider that harder work than a lot of people have done, you know. Um, when my parents opened their pizza place originally, I worked. I was like the, the, the point man. I worked. No, no shitting you here. I remember this vividly. I have haikus about it from if you go on my, my website, go way in the past. Um from 8 in the morning to 10 p.m. Okay? Those are 14-hour uh, days. I worked 14-hour days for 84 days in a row. No weekends. I mean, granted, on Sunday, we opened at 4. So Sunday, we only opened 4 to 10. But every other day, 8 in the morning to 10 p.m. Every day, no breaks for 84 days when we first opened. For the first three months, I got almost no days off and I worked all day. And that was actually the hardest I've ever worked in my whole life. But even then, compared to, you know, compared to the average American, I think that's harder work than most do. Um, now I work in an office all day and I sit at a, in an air-conditioned office on a 
great chair with uh, you know a cup of coffee in my hand, and it's 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 easy, you know. I mean, yeah, I had to get an education, do the job that I do, and not anybody can do it. But as far as like how hard and stressful it is on me physically, it's fucking great. I mean, I'm I'm essentially very lucky. I'm very lucky. I'm living the dream. I mean, I go to a job that I enjoy. I I'm 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 calm at the job. I I like what I do. I'm good at it. I go home every day and I'm confident that I can eat dinner. And if I have a baby, my baby's going to be fine. That's amazing. For the amount of work I have to do to have that kind of security, I'm privileged as it fucking gets, okay? And I fully admit that. Like I'm I'm just imagining compared to like my dad when he was, you know, my, when he was my age, I guess he was in America already, but my dad was in Russia working on, you know, in, in communist Russia and I'm just imagining the amount of stress he had on him compared to me must have been way more extreme. And then compare that to somebody who's like in Syria where your city's being fucking bombed constantly. You're at risk of being killed at any moment. Your children are never safe. Job security, fucking forget about it. The, the, the job you do pays fucking nothing. No matter how good you are at it or how hard you work, you can never make any more money. And you can get killed at any fucking moment. And then your government collapses. The amount of stress and pressure that is, and to say that those people are lazy or, or cowardly for leaving a country like that to come to America. And then when I accuse you of like coming from a privileged point of view to say something like that, like, and then you, you say, I'm not privileged. I worked all my life. Get the fuck out of here. Okay. You know, we're, we're so used to where we live. We're so used to like having our laptops, having our iPhones, even poor people in America, like not the homeless ones, but like even poor people, they have cell phones and cable and internet. And I'm not going to be like, oh, just, I understand internet's very important to American life and having a car is very important to American life. But having a car and having internet, that's in like most people in the planet don't have that. I mean, in the, you got to understand that, that every, even every first world country, the entire population of all the first world countries are greatly outnumbered by people who are fucking in the shit. And they work just as hard as anybody. But they will never have internet or a car. Because it doesn't matter how hard they work. Their, their economy and their government and their country is so fucked. They will never break out. They can never not be poor. No matter how much elbow grease they put into it. And the fact that in America, if you work really hard, you probably can succeed. That isn't even an option in a lot of countries. You cannot succeed without leaving that fucking country. You know, like in Russia, my dad could not have succeeded no matter how hard he worked. Unless he was like in the fucking mafia, you know, or some kind of corrupt politician. No matter how good of an engineer he was in Russia, he would not have broken out of being just an engineer in Russia. That's, I mean, it's a flat fucking, it's a flat area. You know, you're an engineer and that's it. You can work harder or less hard. That's the communist problem. You know, as everybody works the minimum amount. If you work any harder, you're just working harder. You're getting paid the same, you know, unless you like start getting weird. So when somebody, this is the moral of the story. Everybody who's in America who has the capability to go to college, get a Facebook account, have a laptop and fucking bitch on Facebook about how you don't want refugees in our country compared to those refugees, you're privileged as fuck. And you gotta, that's a fucking fact. That isn't my opinion. And I don't need anything. I don't need to know anything more about you except for you have a fucking Facebook account 
to know that you're a privileged little fucking brat compared to these poor people who are setting sail on a fucking raft across the ocean, okay? So just have some perspective. That's all I'm saying. Um, now, now, counterpoint to it, it sounds like I'm, I'm a bleeding heart fucking liberal right now, and I know that. Um, I, I want to, you know, tell you that, that I, I've undergone a lot of transformations in my life. And that's because my opinion has changed. My opinion and my perspective has changed a lot in my life. There was a time, even, even if you go back to the early podcast, and it's kind of fun to have a podcast because you can go back and, 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 and hear myself, you know, about what I was saying. And the first time this, this, there's a, a police brutality kind of a thing, police, a police, back when, you know, back me and Yuri were still doing it upstairs. There was this one guy in Minneapolis who was in the Skyway and he was attacked by the, attacked, you know, the police accosted him and were trying to get his ID, trying to tell him to whatever. And he was kind of talking back to the police and being a little irritable. And then the situation really escalated to this really sick point where he got arrested for resisting arrest. Um, and I, at that point, I was still saying he should have just complied and nothing would have happened. I was, on the, I was like saying, look, just cooperate with the police and it's not going to be a big deal. And, and, and now, now since this, this issue has really fucking blown up, I've completely changed my opinion. And I can admit that I was wrong back then. I mean, granted, in, in, a, in a microcosm, in a, you know, if he didn't want to get arrested, he should have complied. You know, and if you're a, a, you're a black person and you don't want to risk your life, then your best chance of survival is to do everything the police say. I mean, that's a, that's, it's a fact, you know, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do for, for the cause, but your best chance of survival is certainly to just say, yes, officer, whatever you say, officer, you know, here's my ID for no fucking reason. Yes. You can search my car for no fucking reason. I mean, that's your best chance of not getting abused for sure is capitulating. However, that's completely inappropriate. And when I drive, there's, I feel no risk that that will ever happen to me. If I get pulled over by an officer, I will have, there's not an inkling in my mind that it's for any other reason than that officer legitimately suspects me of doing something wrong. Either my taillight is out or I was speeding or I cut somebody off. I know for a fact that's what he's going to say. There's not an inkling that it's because he just doesn't like me. And that's something I take for granted. And I realize that, that if a black or a minority, not black, it's Mexicans or anybody gets pulled over. He can't be positive. It's because he was breaking the law. It could just be for fun. And that's a, that, that, to me, that's now I've realized that, that is a re, very real thing that happens. And I've I changed my mind. Now my position is fuck that officer. And I, I mean, even, even back then my position was fuck the officer, but I was just saying this guy should have, you know, should have just capitulated. Now I'm not, I don't even say that anymore. Now I'm just so offended by the police that at this point, you know, so it changed my mind. I've also kind of changed my position on, on, on the poor. I used to kind of really hate government programs and I still do, but now I'm more targeting rich people who cheat on taxes because for every one person that cheats on taxes, that's worth a million poor people on a government abusing government program. So it's like, if I'm going to target someone, I'm going to target the fucking rich people, fuck them, you know, but there's no shame in changing your mind. I would say that changing your mind, if like, I'm very opinionated and anybody who knows me knows that I'm very opinionated. I love to argue. I love to fight, but you know what? I also like to be right. And I don't want to fight if I'm on the wrong side of it. And a lot of times when you, when you have an argument and you really get entrenched, 
it makes it, you feel almost embarrassed that you saw things a different way later. Like you feel like you're, 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 you're admitting defeat almost and changing your position. And I think you shouldn't. I think when, you're, when you change your position, you should consider that a victory because you're overcoming not only ignorance and arrogance, but you're overcoming your own personal bias. You've learned new information and that new information, you're strong enough to let that information speak for itself and not have your own ego get involved, you know? And you really have to listen to people that way and understand that you're not just looking for how wrong they are and a way to explain it, but instead look for what's right about what they're saying and what are they saying correctly. And and just to counterpoint uh, some of the stuff that I've been at, I, I want to say somebody shared a meme or, you know, a meme. It's an image with, it's an image of a, uh, Roosevelt, I think, um, with, you know, words on it, like a quote. And, and he is uh, saying, you know, he's opposed to, he's saying we'll accept all the immigrants and refugees in the world as long as they promise to give up everything they believe in and become as American as possible. If they're not willing to become Americans, then we will not accept them. And, you know, this is, you know, a very kind of a, right-wing thing to share and it's kind of a fuck the refugees kind of a message at least from the person that it came from it was certainly a fuck the refugees kind of a message but i was thinking about you know that that's a that's a very fair philosophy and that's i think that's a philosophy that makes a lot of sense a lot more like than saying well one out of a thousand refugees might be a terrorist or all refugees are terrorists or we don't want them here they're not like us that's all like racist speech and race, racism is illogical and irrational. However, saying that we will only accept people that want to be American, that makes a lot of sense. Because why would we want non-Americans in America? You know, the reason you come to America is because you like our lifestyle and you want to be an American. And that makes, that, that's, that's a, a reasonable thing to say. And we don't want to dilute, we were happy with our culture and we don't want the American culture diluted with other cultures. And granted, there's a counter, counter argument where, you know, America's a melting pot and all cultures are welcome. But at the same time, all cultures are kind of not welcome because America was created because we wanted to escape culture X to start culture Y. And now we've got culture Y. And a lot of these, a lot of these memes going around also where it's like, well, we were all immigrants once, so... That isn't really a rational argument. Because we were immigrants once, we should accept immigrants. That doesn't really follow. We were immigrants because we escaped a culture we didn't like to start one that we started and it's ours. And now other now we don't want that culture to change. That makes perfect sense. If immigrants are, are, are at risk of changing our culture that we're happy with, then it makes sense to oppose those immigrants, even if we were immigrants once. It's not just for the sake of immigrants for the sake of immigrants. I mean, immigrants, why? Because we, we didn't like England. We didn't like taxation without representation, blah, blah, blah. So we made our own country and we said, here's the way it's going to be. And we have the right to say only American, only people who believe in our lifestyle can come in. And that's an interesting philosophy that I, that I kind of believe in. I mean, I still think that we have, as a first world country with a lot of money and a lot of privileged individuals. I think it's kind of our responsibility to help the worst of us. And that would be, you know, women and children who are running from a bombed out city. I think letting refugees in is a nice thing to do. 
But at the same time, I understand the mentality of maintaining the American way of life. I get it, you know. So I'm not, you know, I, I, I understand rational arguments and I, I support them. But I think it's important to know that you can change your point of view and not be embarrassed. You can do that, guys. I want you to feel empowered to change your point of view. It's a powerful thing to do. It's, it's, very, it's very liberating. Oh, sorry, I'm drinking now. I'm getting a little dry mouth here. You know, I don't know how solo podcasters do this. I mean, this is, it's just so dry. Your, your mouth just gets so dry doing this. All right. Enough heavy lifting. Um, I want to talk about something that happened to me that's interesting. If, as you know from before, I'm really obsessed <clears throat> with Barnes & Noble hardcover editions. So I've been looking at which ones I want. And one of the ones that has been tickling my fancy for a long time that I've seen on the shelves that I really kind of want to get is called the 1001 Arabian Nights, or Arabian Nights for short. You may have heard of Arabian Nights. It's a book of Middle Eastern fairy tales that has been, you know, passed down, and it's a big hardcover book of fairy tales. And I kind of thought it was like Grimm's fairy tales, right? Where it's just a series of fairy tales. So I'm reading the synopsis about it, and the framework of it is something that's really interesting. And I want to kind of, it made me realize something that's great. There's a magic card. I'm, a, I'm an avid Magic the Gathering player. Less so now, but I have a lot of cards. I play the game a lot. I really love it. There's an old call, card called Scheherazade. And the word Scheherazade, you may have heard, um, it's actually a name. And the card displays a kind of a, you know, Arabic-looking woman kind of in bed wearing like a genie outfit, I guess, like I Dream of Genie. Like, you know, a classic kind of a belly dancer sort of outfit. And she's like smiling on this bed. That's what the card says, and it looks like, and it's called Scheherazade. And the way the card works is basically you're playing a game of magic. One player plays Scheherazade and it says, stop the game of magic you're playing now. Take the cards you have left over and play a completely separate game of magic on the side. Whoever loses that game, though once you're done, you go back to your regular game. And whoever lost the mini game loses half their life. <clears throat> so that's how the card works. It's really quirky. It's really weird. I mean, this is an old card. It's like an old, valuable card. It's one of the first, you know, one of the first sets they ever made. It's not in print anymore. It's, it's banned in all formats. But it's this old card. And it was kind of a quirky old card. I remember reading it going, ah, oh, that's a weird card, man. It's called Scheherazade. And I don't know what Scheherazade is. I found out what Scheherazade is. And that's why I'm so happy about this now. <clears throat> in the book, Arabian Nights, here's what the story is. There's a sultan, and his name is Shar Shariar or something like that, Sharar, and his wife cheats on him, and he finds out, and he has her beheaded in a classic sultan style. Um, then his ego was so hurt, he, he's afraid of ever being cheated on again. He, he vows he'll never be cheated on again. And to make that happen, he takes a new wife every day, and the next morning after they share a night together, he has his wife beheaded every day. And he does this with lots of women. He just beheads them. He's a bad guy. He's not a good guy. This is not a philosophy that is, you know, some people like. Then the vizier's daughter, whose name is Scheherazade, she says, I'm going to marry the sultan. And I have a plan. And her plan is to start telling him a story every night, but not finish it until the next morning. 
So basically she tells him a story with a cliffhanger. And then he wants to know how the story ends so badly that he doesn't behead her in the next morning because he wants to hear the story ends. So in the morning, she finishes a story. And then the next night, she starts a new story. And she tells him a thousand stories. And that's why the book is called A Thousand Arabian Nights, A Thousand and One. Uh, at, the end, after, at the end of A Thousand Stories, she runs out of stories. But by that point, the king has fallen so much in love with her that he won't behead her anyway. So she ends up winning because she told such good stories. And then the magic card is just a really great representation of this concept. And it's just such a fitting card. I really have a, a new respect for the design that went into these cards back then. And, you know, nowadays, I don't know how popular or, or how many people cared about this card. But it's just like, this is just one card out of thousands. And there's such a rich history behind it in mythology. It's really great. I really think that's a beautiful piece. And... This Arabian Nights book seems really interesting. I'm really, I hope I get it for Christmas or something. That'd be really cool. Uh, so let me know if you've ever read it. Uh, I'm just, I love fairy tales. I like mythology. I like reading about it. I think it's really interesting how people, you know, kind of came up with these stories to explain, you know, how things happen. And they're very creative and interesting. And Japanese uh, fairy tales amuse me a lot. And American ones too, you know. I should get some more Russian ones. I don't know that many Russian fairy tales. And I'm sure there's very many. And they're very rich, I bet. <coughs> Let me talk about The Matrix a little bit. I heard a really good anti-Matrix review where it was The Nostalgia Critic. Have you ever watched him? The Nostalgia Critic's got... He's a very popular YouTuber and, you know, his own website. That Guy With Glasses, I think his website's called. He's got a ton of reviews on a lot of movies. He watches bad movies. So you don't have to. That's his whole little gimmick. But he did a really great review. <clears throat> oh, sorry, I swallowed weird. Of the Matrix, and he points something out that I never thought of before. That really kind of shits on the whole concept. And I, I'm a big Matrix supporter. I think it's a great movie. I love it. One of my favorites. But I really can't shake this one. He says, "Why is there a Matrix in the first place? Why don't you just have all the people and just remove their brain completely?" Or put them in a straight-up coma. So they don't have to... Like, the whole idea of this communal dream everybody has to have. Why? Why have to... Why worry about writing this fantasy dream and managing it and maintaining it and worrying about people escaping it and getting it just right when you can just grow straight-up comatose people? And there really... I thought about this for a long time. And there really is no reason for it. Like, it's the same for me. I'm saying, why don't we just make cows that are comatose all the time? I mean, the reason we don't do that is because that would take a medical medical stuff that we don't want to spend money on because we don't give a fuck about the cow's pain. But if we could make cows that are comatose, we could have guilt-free beef all the time. We can just grow cows like we grow apples and potatoes. And the robots, obviously, in this case, for the robots, they had to go through all the effort of making this utopian dream world and hooking everybody into it but i'm assuming they could easily just create these like life support systems that keep us alive without our brains it, it seems like it's much easier and that kind of makes the whole matrix concept fall apart so that's you know too bad uh, let me know what you think about that because i'm curious if there's any kind of refutations to that idea that the matrix is a stupid concept because you don't need to actually have a matrix for anything. You can just have human bodies growing 
and that's it. What the fuck are they up to? You know? So that's kind of weird. <coughs> Sorry about these coughs. I hope they're not too loud. Um, yeah, so what else do I got for you? Should I go to picks? How many times I got? Uh, 45 minutes. You know, it'll be uh, about an hour long, and I think that's fine for just myself. That feels fair. And please let me know what you think about this podcast. If you think this is boring, it's not good enough, don't be shy. I want to know if I should like just skip this week or if I should do a solo cast because I, you know, I feel like it's going pretty good. To me, I feel like I'm getting a lot of stuff out that I wanted to get out and I feel like it's pretty articulate. Here's something interesting. I'm a big fan of the video game Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball. Huge fan of this game. I've had all the, you know, well, there's only been two, but I had the Xbox One. I have the 361. I logged many hundreds of hours into these games. Now, I, re- I found out yesterday that there is, they are making a Dead or Alive Extreme 3. And it's exclusive to PlayStation. And it looks like it's exclusive to Japan. Because, basically, they don't want to release that game in America. Because of all the Justice Warriors we got in the whole Gamergate, women's, women exploitation shit we got going on here. And look, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball is a straight up exploitation game. I mean, the whole game is naked, near naked women who you dress up in outfits that you want. You use them as nothing but sexual objects to look at, dress up like dolls. So in that way, absolutely, this game is just like that. But at the same time, I want this game. I love it. Okay, I really want to get it in America. It might not ever come out, and I'm like, what, import it from Japan, and then it's all in Japanese. Then I can't fucking play the game. But is this just a tip of the iceberg? That's what I'm really concerned about. I mean, as far as exploitation games go, other than straight-up rape games, which they do have in Japan, by the way, or at least they used to have since American pressure started coming down on them. Uh, Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball is about ex- as extreme as it gets as far as exploitation video games go, in my opinion. In sex. There's some violent, violence-based games that are more exploitative, but as far as sex goes. And this company now has determined that instead of dealing with the consequences of releasing it in America, with all the people like how horrible this game is for our children, they've opted to just not release it at all. And I wonder how many game ideas die like this. And should they die? You know, um, this is the only game that I particularly care about that's, you know, based on this kind of subject matter. And and I'm going to miss it. But can I really argue that it should exist? You know, uh, it's hard for me to say that it should. I mean, I understand freedom and everybody to each his own and all that. But, you know... Video games about just using women as objects, I think, is definitely a bad lesson to teach to kids. Uh, I think that it's not helping anything. And and maybe they're right, you know, and maybe America's right about this. And maybe Japan's a bit behind where they can still make these games, all you know, and not really release them and not really think twice. Uh, it's interesting to think about. I'm not really I'm not really settled on it other than just I'm upset that I'm not going to be getting this game and I really wish I was. And I honestly will say, if this game comes out in America, I will get a PlayStation and get it. 
Like, that's how much I care about Extreme Beach Volleyball. I love it. I really love this game. But I'm at odds with myself for whether or not it should be released, you know? So I, I, if there's a trailer, I will post it in the website. Uh, you can watch it. It's I'm sure the trailer will be really entertaining. So check that out. Um, going on the trend of, of, of following through with the picks, my, my co-host's name, Yuri, throughout uh well eric watched creed and yuri told me to go to this theater over in Grove heights with the, with the lazy boy chairs and the bar <coughs> mm. so i did that i went and watched creed at the movie theater with the nice chairs <clears throat> and i had an amazing experience uh amc theaters and i know that they're doing it at the mall of america here and also in the Inward Grove Theater, where it's kind of near where I live, they have these amazing love seats. You know, they're really nice couch style love seats with leg uh, recliners, and it's so comfortable and amazing. And they do have a full bar. I asked them if they had Bloody Marys at the bar, and they said they don't have any mix currently, but usually they do. So I could have gotten a Bloody Mary and watched Creed. How fucking amazing would that have been? And the movie ticket was 10 bucks. So I think that's a dollar more expensive than the uh, Regal Theater that I used to go to all the time, which is closer. But fuck those chairs. Fuck the Regal Theater. I'm never going back. AMC realized they got to give me a little something extra. And they deliver. So I love that theater, and I love theaters with recliners. So thank you, Yuri, for that pick. I'll tell him next time I see him. That was a great one. I did it. I'm going to go there. I'm never going to go to a different theater again. I'm only going to that one. The movie Creed. Equally phenomenal, okay? I'll tell you something about Sylvester Stallone. A a people like to rag on Stallone and the uh, you know 80s action stars like Van Damme and Seagal and Chuck Norris as like, oh, well, these movies are so mindless and dumb. And, and maybe the, the Rocky movies, you know, work in Rambo, whatever. I've been wa I, I, I recently watched Rocky 1, 2, and 3, okay? In a row. I watched them recently. Those movies are good. And they're not just good in a, in a testosterone-fueled 80s action kind of vibe. They're actually good movies. And we talked about this last episode when Eric brought in Creed and how you can follow Rocky's development throughout the movies and like really get a life lifetime of, of experiences. It's a really beautiful story. You know, and the acting is actually very good. Stallone is a he's a great actor, you know? He's a great actor. And if you watch the new Rambo and the new and Rocky Balboa and this Creed, he really shows. I mean, these movies are a lot different than the old movies. The '80s movies are very kind of testosterone action driven, but there's a lot of very touching parts in those movies. I mean, yeah, Rambo is amazing shot, screams and shoots big machine guns and shoots exploding arrows, and it's all nonsense. But at the same time, he has some really good commentary about you know Vietnam vets and you know fighting and being you know taking pride in yourself and. There's a lot of great morals there, and Stallone really does a good job delivering like emotional lines from this kind of burly guy. And the new movies are very dark and gritty. You know, the, the way the new movies are are very different than the old movies, but they're not they're 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 great, you know? And Creed is a great movie. It's very realistic, I would say. Like it's not like Rambo and, and the old Rockies were kind of Hollywood. Like the boxing was pretty Hollywood. This is a very realistic movie, and it's based in reality, and it's awesome. If you like Rocky, watch it. If you like boxing, watch it. If you like good acting, 
definitely watch it. It's just great. Um, now, I watched a movie uh, last night. I've been watching a lot of thrillers and horror movies on Netflix lately because I realized that all of the, not all of them, but a lot of the thrillers and horror movies on Netflix have one star and they don't deserve it. I'm not really sure. Like, like if I look at the action movies or the comedies, they, they get the appropriate rating. You know, like the star ratings are like appropriate. But the horrors and thrillers pretty much all have bad ratings. And it's really weird. But I watched this movie called Circle. And it's on Netflix right now. It's called Circle. And it's a really interesting premise. And I was really literally glued to the screen watching this movie. Nobody's in it who you've ever heard of. There's no actors in it that are, you know, any of any fame. Um, but the way it works is there's 36 people who wake up in this room and they're standing on these little like circles on the ground and they're in the position of sort of a roulette wheel. And then there's like a, a sphere in the middle and every two minutes there's like a ticking and a buzzer and then the sphere shoots somebody with like a lightning bolt and the person just immediately dies. And then so these guys are panicking and if they step off of their pad, they immediately die. And if they touch each other, they get killed. And then so they don't really know what's going on, but every two minutes somebody dies. And there's 36 of them, so they got you know a while to go. Then they realize that what's going on is they're, with their hands, they're voting for people that are standing around. And whoever gets the most votes, that's who dies in two minutes. So then it, 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 it's all, the whole movie takes place in this one room with these 36 people around it. And they're all trying to figure out what's going on and what to do and whether or not they can escape. And then they kind of reside, resign to the fact that they're voting on who dies next. And they got to kind of deal with that. And then the whole movie is them like experiencing this, this idea, you know, this, this situation they're in. Who they're going to kill. How they're going to decide. And through the conversations, they develop their characters. And it's a really interesting movie. It's very cerebral. And it makes you think, like, what would I do in this situation? And... It's quite interesting, you know, and uh, I like it. I recommend the movie highly. It's one of these cool decision-making movies that are, are, you know, very in your head. It's quite, quite good. So check that movie out if you're looking for an interesting watch. It's not gory at all. There's no, like, it's not a horror movie in the traditional sense. There's no start starts. Like, there's nobody that pops out. It's nothing like that. It's just, it's very calm. And people are getting hit by like a shock and they're dying. So there's no blood. They're not getting their heads blown up. It's very clear. You can watch it with your family, you know, with like your kids, if they're not afraid of death, you know, you can watch it with your wife or girlfriend and it's not going to be gross. It's a good dinner movie where you want to, you know, cuddle up and kind of have a good talking point. It's a cool movie. Check it out. Now, also, I don't know. I don't, I feel like I should have already talked about these, but I, I don't think I have. I've been buying up a lot of cheap Xbox 360 games. And a lot of the games I got recently have been really great. Uh, Fight Night Round 4, I think I mentioned, but it's a boxing game, which I'm, I, I just love. Um, but Sniper Elite 3 has been just an absolute standout great game. And I, I, have I talked about this before? I don't know. I'll do it again. But I'll w watch the trailer. I'm going to post a trailer. But they got me when I watched this trailer. It's like you're a sniper and you shoot this bullet. And the bullet, it, it's like, it, you know, in Mortal Kombat has these x-ray moves where it goes into like the bones of a person and then you watch their bones break. This game does that, but with sniper bullets. So you, as soon as you shoot a kill shot with a sniper rifle, it goes into slow motion, bullet time, bullet shoots into this guy's fucking head and it blows up his skull and his brain. 
and it's insanely vivid and amazing and the sounds are crunchy and gross and it's so cool. That trailer got me. I'm like, I got to have this game. But now that I have the game, I got to tell you, it's not just a gimmick where you're having the slow motion bullets. As far as stealth games go, I don't like stealth games. But this is a stealth game that I'm really into. It really captures the whole sniper kind of... I don't know. I mean, I have no idea if this is what sniper life is like. I'm assuming not. But in this game, I feel like I'm the most badass sniper in the world. Where it's like me versus 90 guys. And I kill all 90 guys. And none of them know that I killed anybody. Like, it's so great. And you place landmines. And you throw rocks to distract them. And you kill them with a pistol. And you kill them with your sniper rifle. And you got to adjust for the wind. You got to adjust for the height. Let me tell you what, though. If you get the game, here's what you have to do, okay? You've got to go into options and turn aim assist off. You have to do that because here's what happens. When you shoot your sniper and you aim, gravity and wind both affect your bullet. And your breath does too. Your gun sways. And you breathe. And your heartbeat is, a, is an effect. Now, one of the buttons you press is called hold breath, which basically means you could go... And your guy inhales and holds his breath. And basically, it makes the game go in slow motion and your gun stops swinging. So, like, when you're about to do your shot, you always hold your breath. And then it makes time stop and the game, like, gets, like, slowed down so you can get a good shot. But you still have to adjust for wind and height. If aim assist is on, when you hold your breath, the game gives you a very obvious red dot where your bullet will go based on the wind and height, like, arithmetic. So where the crosshair is, imagine your crosshair, the X, you know, the crosshair. That's not where the bullet's going to go. The bullet's going to go a little bit lower and a little bit to the right because the wind is blowing and it's far away. When you hold your breath, it gives you a red dot exactly where the bullet's going to go. So it, it removes any calculations you have to do in your head. If you remove aim assist, the red dot is not there. And you need to do that yourself. And that is kind of like where the skill is. There's no skill in sniping if aim assist is on. Basically, you hold the trigger, you hold your breath, you put their head in the red dot, and you headshot everybody. And it takes no skill at all. There's no skill. It's just a fucking slideshow of, of, of kill shots. But if you turn that off, you have to actually measure, okay, well, they're 150 meters away, so I got to aim a little bit above them. The wind is blowing pretty hard to the left, so I got to I gotta, I gotta, leave my bullet to the right, you know. And then your gun, you can adjust your gun, so you have different muzzle speeds and distances and scopes. And then all that has a, you know, all that matters actually in how you're sniping. And that's really what the gameplay is. And I, I beat the first two levels not realizing that aim assist is a thing. And I mean, I thought hold your breath just gave me that vision and that was like your skill. But then when I realized I could turn it off, I was like, holy shit, this is a new game. So now every shot that I take is very carefully calculated and I got to really like take it seriously. And that makes the game feel really good. Like a really great sniper game. So I love it. It's fucking great it's available on xbox one and ps4 and xbox 360 and ps3 so you can get it anywhere i got mine for 20 dollars. easily worth it okay if you're looking for a budget title get this game it's so fun and i haven't even played a multiplayer uh there's a cooperative mode so if you have a friend who has it i mean i'm sure the servers are pretty dead for this game because it's kind of like already been out for a while and nobody's ever talked about it but if you have a friend who has it you can cooperate and beat all the campaign levels co-op so that's super fun. <coughs> Don't tell anybody, but I got it for a friend of mine, and we're going to be playing this game for sure once Christmas comes. Um, and also, I got a game called Eternal Sonata, which is a Japanese RPG. 
<coughs> which I saw a trailer for, and it looks so colorful and lush and beautiful. I was like obsessed with this trailer. And it's based on you being in Frederick Chopin's mind, like the famous pianist, Frederick Chopin. You're in his mind, like in a dream that he's having. And the whole RPG takes place inside his dream, and it's kind of music-based. And I, I don't, I've only played it for about three hours, so I'm like not very far into a Japanese RPG because it's probably going to be 30 hours. I'm really enjoying it. It's got a really cool kind of semi-turn-based combat system. Um, it has this kind of style where you can see the enemies on the, on the map, like uh, Chrono Trigger. And then when you connect with the enemies, you enter a new battle screen. Or maybe it's kind of like uh, Earthbound. But then if you like attack... Actually, it's more like Earthbound. Because if you attack the enemies from the back, or they attack you from the back, they're like flanking you. But if you attack them from the back, you're flanking them. So you can kind of sneak up on the bad guys and get a heads up on them. Or if they sneak up on you... And then there's a light and dark system where in the actual battlefields, there's shadows and light parts. And then your, your magic abilities are different based on whether you're in the light or in the shadow. <coughs> For example, your healer can only cast a healing spell when she's in the light. And then if she's in the shadow, she casts like a damaging spell instead. So you kind of have to run around. And then some enemies will, you know, have a light to carry with them. So if you get within melee range of an enemy, you're automatically in the light or you're automatically in the darkness. Or someone will cast a spell, which will make an area dark, you know. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. And also interesting, you can only carry 10 items into battle. And by items, I mean like a, a potion that heals you or a revive ability or a poison cure. <coughs> like Final Fantasy, you can carry everything with you. So if you ever need a poison cure or a petrify cure, you can always have one. Or, a, a, you know, a cup of wishes, whatever it may be. A phoenix down. In this game, you can only carry 10 at a time. So you're okay, well, I'm going to carry five potions and three phoenix downs and then one anti-poison and then one maybe it's an item that like makes light, you know. So you got to pick and choose what you're going to carry in a battle. So that's super interesting. And that I haven't really got into that because I don't have any, I'm all out of items right now. But later in the game, when you go to some towns and start really buying stuff, that's going to be neat. But this game is really great. I got it for $15. And if you like Final Fantasy, this is right up your alley. If you play Final Fantasy X... You definitely like Eternal Sonata, I think. And I can say that based on my three hours of playing. Great game. Uh, I'm not sure if it's on PlayStation. It's definitely on 360. So, uh, check that out. Well, I guess that's uh, I guess that's as far as I'll go. Uh, <coughs> sorry about this coughing. I'm really sorry. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, thank you all, to all my listeners. I take this opportunity to just you know thank everybody for listening. Uh, I really appreciate it. This is a great outlet for me. To not only kind of, you know, there there's definitely fun in, in, in getting comments and feeling like I'm famous. I mean, I get, you know, like like 100 views tops. So I know compared to like famous people, I'm nobody. But it feels great to have people actually listen to me and care about what I'm saying. It makes me feel really good. I don't think I'm better than anybody by any means. But it's I, I really like sharing ideas and getting feedback. And it's been great. This podcast has been really great for me. It's been really fun. And thank you to everybody who listens and comments and subscribes. I really appreciate it, guys. And, you know, please ask me any questions you want and talk to me. I, I'm super appreciative of all that. It's been really great having this. So thanks for listening. Uh, tell your friends about our podcast. If, you know, you have friends who listen to podcasts, let them know about it. You know, I, I think we can get more listeners. And I think that having serious conversations about stuff is important and different points of view are important. So, let everybody know and, and everybody comment and 
Uh, thanks for listening. Have a great Christmas. Let me know what you guys get. And please let me know what you got your parents. I'm really curious what other people are doing for their parents. Because I have a hard time every year, and it doesn't ever get any easier. It really sucks for me. So hey, thanks for coming. I'll see you next time.